Welcome to The Cap, where we are here to speak with college reps and other professionals in the field of college admissions to help answer all your questions and guide you through every step of the process. So if you're serious about college admissions, you've come to the right place. Are you ready? Let's talk about it. And now, here's your host, Dr. John Durante. Welcome to The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and I am here to introduce you to college admissions representatives and other professionals in the field of college admissions. Our purpose is to serve you, the students and parents, so that you may gain insight straight from the people who ultimately make the decisions. Regardless of whether you will apply to a particular school being highlighted, you should listen to all of the episodes as each guest will give you tremendous insight and advice on every aspect of the college admissions process, prompting you to come up with your own follow-up questions for when you visit campus or meet with a college admissions representative yourself. Lastly, if you have any questions you'd like me to cover on future episodes or any comments you'd like to share, please email me at collegeadmissionstalk at gmail.com. And don't forget to visit our website at www.collegeadmissionstalk.com. So are you ready? Let's talk about it. Welcome to The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and it gives me great pleasure to introduce to you today, Connor Stanfield, who is a senior admission counselor at Grinnell College. Connor, thank you so much for being here today. How are you? Good. Yeah, I'm doing my best to stay warm. Uh, there's a blizzard going through Iowa right now, but it's nice and warm in my apartment, and I'm happy to be here. Fantastic. I could actually hear the wind howling in the background, so you know, be safe out there. But again, Connor, what an honor and a pleasure to have you. So let's get right to it. What is it about Grinnell College that makes it so appealing for so many students to want to apply and ultimately attend? Yeah, yeah. This is something I could go on and on about, especially I'm an alum of Grinnell. I graduated in the class of 21. Um, and for me, it was the combination of the rigorous academics, the tight-knit community, and the generous financial aid. Um, and so those are kind of loosely some of the distinguishing factors we usually point out when we're talking about Grinnell, um, especially our individually advised curriculum, the diversity of our community, and again, the generosity of our financial aid. Um, so in terms of the, the curriculum, we basically have an open curriculum at Grinnell. There's only one required four credit class, uh, and that's an intro to college writing class that students take their very first semester at Grinnell that professors teach on all sorts of different subjects. Um, otherwise, we don't have any distributional requirements or any general education classes, and so I think students are very drawn to Grinnell by the flexibility that that offers and the ability to take ownership for their, their own education. Um, and so when you combine that with the strength of our academics generally, you know, we're pretty consistently ranked within the top 10 colleges in the U.S. in terms of the undergraduate classroom experience, undergraduate teaching, and undergraduate research. Um, our academics are definitely a huge draw. Um, our student body is also remarkably diverse for a college of our size, um, especially in terms of international students. So just to rattle off some numbers real quick, um, about one in five of our students are international students, about one in four domestic students of color, and about one in six to one in seven are first generation college students. And we have students from all 50 states um, and over 50 countries on campus at, at any given point. Um, so I think students across the board are excited to have the opportunity to have conversations across that kind of difference. Um, 
And, you know, while we are still an elite, predominantly white institution, so there's always work to be done. I think students of color, international students, first-gen students are excited that there is already a community built in for them, and there are lots of resources for them to draw on while they're at Grinnell. Um, And then just lastly, in terms of financial aid, you know, we're one of about eight colleges across the whole country to check off all three boxes in terms of being need-blind for domestic applicants, meeting 100% of demonstrated need for all of our admitted students, and doing that without any loans. Um, we're also the highest ranked college to offer substantial merit aid for uh, for our admitted students. So that goes up to about $30,000 a year for domestic students. Um, so, you know, students can get really the highest caliber education at a very fair price. You know, and then there's some other, you know, one-off unique things that draw students to Iowa. Uh, historically, the Iowa caucuses were a big thing that drew students to Grinnell. And so, you know, we're kind of mourning that loss right now. But also the Iowa Writers Workshop, um, the, the Prairie, which is a very unique ecosystem that students get to do field research in. You know, and for a lot of our Midwestern students, Grinnell is the highest ranked college that's close to home for them. Um, and so I think students, especially from the Midwest, are excited about the possibility of getting an elite education close to home. Well, thank you so much for sharing that introduction and all of the data points. I want to add one more. I read a statistic that 94% of the freshman class returned last year, which is astonishing. Kind of obviously that's a testament to the work that you do in admissions, but also the family feel that Grinnell fosters once the students are on campus to want to make them continue throughout their entire college career and beyond. You mentioned diversity great academics, and of course, the generous financial aid packages. It really sounds like there's something for everyone in Grinnell. So some students and parents reached out. They want to hear more about life on campus. So Kana, what can you tell us about life on campus outside of the classroom? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Grinnell students really like to be busy, so there is never a shortage of things to do outside of the classroom. Grinnell students are especially politically active, so they're are always several types of activism going on on our campus. Um, you know, historically, the presidential elections were always a really exciting time on campus because every major candidate would come through Grinnell. Um, but beyond that, throughout my whole time at Grinnell, there's consistently been activism around racial justice, around climate change, around gun control, among a number of other issues. Um, currently, there's a lot of talk on campus about our union because we are the first college to have a fully unionized undergraduate student workforce in the country, um, the union of Grinnell student dining workers. So they're in negotiations right now, figuring out that contract. And so that, that activism is a really important part of, I think, the identity of Grinnell students. Um, but beyond activism, about a third of our students are varsity athletes. Um, we're Division Three in the NCAA with 20 varsity sports. Um, and then more participate in sports like Ultimate Frisbee and water polo. Um, I don't think this is currently true, but it was true last year that our Ultimate Frisbee team was actually the biggest sports team on our campus, which I think <laughs> kind of speaks to the student culture at Grinnell. Um, but all of our athletic facilities, uh, which include things like an Olympic-sized swimming pool and a rock wall, are open to students regardless of whether they are varsity or even intramural athletes or not. Uh, And likewise, all of our musical and theatrical groups are open to students regardless of their major. Um, So I think there's a big culture of of trying new things out at Grinnell and and enthusiastically welcoming people into all sorts of new activities. Um, Our Student Government Association has about a half million dollar budget every year for student-run clubs and events, um, which is only going to about 1,700 students each year. So there's always tons of money to support whatever students are interested 
interested in doing, whether that is something as simple as like starting a video gaming club on campus or uh, something as complicated as a student run drag show that donates uh, the proceeds to charity. Um, and then off campus, uh, a lot of students enjoy being involved in nature. There are several beautiful state parks located within a half hour drive of Grinnell um, and the Grinnell Outdoor Recreational Program or GORC for short. Um, they organize outings to all those parks and that sort of thing pretty regularly. Um, a lot of students will volunteer in the local community. I mean, you name a volunteer opportunity, students have done it, whether that's at uh, a nursing home, the local high school, an animal shelter, a uh, local prison, right? So lots of volunteer opportunities. Um, you know, we are a residential college, so about 90% of our students live on campus at any given point, and all students live within uh, a mile of campus. So it's a very tight-knit, walkable community. And I think the longer students are in Grinnell, the more they just dive into to everything they can do there. Well, that's a terrific overview. Students that are politically active, a student government, as you mentioned, that is extremely well-funded. 90% of the students live on campus. That sounds like a great place to be. I was curious, Connor, can you walk us through the overall application process at Grinnell? Many parents and students, they always wonder, once they hit submit on their application, what exactly happens? So any insight that you can share, such as whether you evaluate by high school, by region, intended major, would be greatly appreciated. Yeah, for sure. So every application at Grinnell is read by two counselors. And one of those counselors is always or almost always the territory manager for that region. Um, so for instance, I read just about every first year applicant who went to high school in Oregon, Minnesota, the north suburbs of Chicago, New York State, Connecticut, New Hampshire, and Vermont. Um, there are some exceptions to that. So, you know, a, a Questbridge match applicant or a homeschooled applicant um, might not be read by their, their territory counselor. Um, but that's the rule of thumb is that one of your readers is always going to be someone who is familiar with, with the region and the school where you went to. Um, and then even boiling that down further, typically I, and, and most of the counselors I know will, will read within their territory by high school. So, you know, if I get 10 applications from your high school, I'm going to try reading all 10 of them at the same time so that I can get a sense of, um, what, what the community of that high school looks like, what the course options for that high school look like. Um, so I'm comparing apples to apples as much as possible. Um, so the two counselors who read an application, we do a holistic overview of every applicant. We read every page that a student submits to us, uh, and we discuss the applicant's strengths and weaknesses, and um, we recommend a decision that we discuss, you know, do we think we should waitlist the student, admit the student, should we deny the student? Um, and then we pass that on. Um, and then it kind of goes from there. Um, so some applicants even get discussed by the entire counseling staff if we need help coming to a decision. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we always want to admit more students than there are room for on our campus. Um, so, you know, once we've gone through every single applicant and made a decision or a recommendation for each of them, you know, we'll always have to go back through and cut out a few more, which is always a sad time of year. Um, but then, you know, for our first year applicants, we don't actually consider a major at all as part of our uh, admission process. We kind of imagine that every student is coming into 
Grinnell undecided. Um, the three things that we really look for when we're reading an application are, one, is the student academically prepared for Grinnell? Two, is the student going to be an active, engaged, compassionate member of our community? And then three, is there some evidence that the student is excited about the possibility of coming to Grinnell? Um, you mentioned earlier uh, our really high first year retention, which is very important to us. We want to make sure that the students we're bringing to campus are actually going to have not just a, a positive academic experience, but also a positive social experience on our campus. So we take that, that additional component of crafting our community very seriously. Well, thank you so much for that overview. And Connor, if you don't mind, we're going to do something a little different in this episode. I'm actually going to ask someone on the email opt-in list to ask the next question. So Tina from Sacramento, California, please go ahead. Thanks, John. So my question is, what is the average profile of the current freshman class? And if a student falls below that average, what are some of the things they can do to enhance their overall application? Yeah, so the the first thing I'll talk about in terms of the average student profiles in terms of grades, um, we don't actually collect average GPA for our students because we have so many students coming from all across the country and all across the world. And, you know, a 4.0 at a public school in New York City is going to be very different than a 4.0 at a private school in the Bay Area. So it's just not useful for us to even look at. Um, in terms of grades, though, you know, we are hoping to see that students are taking the most challenging set of courses available to them at their high school you know, whether that is uh, a bunch of AP classes, the full IB diploma, you know, honors courses, that sort of thing. And generally, students we admit are getting A's and B's in those classes. Um, in terms of average test score um, for the class of 2026, the, the middle 50% for the SAT ranged from 1430 to 1560, and the average at ACT was uh, 31 to 35. Um, but that is only for students who, who submitted a test score to Grinnell. So that might be skewed slightly upwards in terms of students who had a slightly stronger test score. Um, so just while you know we're on the topic of submitting a test score to Grinnell, um, I would really only recommend submitting a test score to Grinnell if that uh, strengthens your application. You know, if your test score falls below that middle 50, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're not academically prepared for Grinnell. What it does mean is that, you know, on that one Saturday where you sat down for three hours, you, you didn't do as well as some of our other students, right? Um, but we don't require you to submit that test score. If you fall below that range, the best thing you can do to strengthen your application is just to not submit it. You know, it just have us look at your transcript instead. Um, I would also recommend that if students had like a rocky patch in their grades, if they if they weren't able to take classes as rigorous as they hoped for, um, that they use the additional information section of the Common App to explain the, those additional challenges. You know, whether you had a death in the family at some point in high school, or you were sick for a period, or you were diagnosed with a learning difference, all those things are useful so we can see, okay, you know, sophomore year, spring semester, you had a death in the family, okay, I see that's where your grades dipped, they went right back up. There's no need to stress about that period. Um, or in terms of rigor, you know, if there were conflicting classes, if all of the APs weren't offered a particular year, you know, let us know that because um, otherwise, you know, we're not in your high school on a day-to-day -day basis. So this that really just helps us um, fully understand the context that you were in and um, and how you succeeded in that environment. The other thing I would recommend to students um, is that 
if you are really interested in Grinnell, that you demonstrate that interest in some capacity. Um, one of the best ways to do that is by requesting an online interview with Grinnell. The, the year before a student applies to Grinnell, they can interview over the summer and then all the way up until December. So I actually just interviewed my last student for the year uh, last night. So that's just a great way for you to really prove that you are excited about the possibility of coming to Grinnell. Um, when we're talking about demonstrated interest, you know, we are not going to admit a highly interested student who is not academically prepared for Grinnell or who's not going to be a great community member. But uh, a student with a lot of demonstrated interest is going to rise above a, a similarly qualified student who hasn't demonstrated very much interest. So if you feel like you fall a little bit short of the academic profile of Grinnell, but you can still succeed here, um, Going that extra mile of, of talking to your admission counselor, coming to virtual events, visiting campus if you can, can help you out for sure. Thank you so much for that comprehensive answer. I truly appreciate you explaining how demonstrating your interest could certainly help in the Grinnell application process. You also mentioned test scores, which we're going to come right back to. But I first just want to take a moment to thank Tina from Sacramento, California for posing the question. And if anybody wants to do so on a future episode, please click the link in the show notes or visit the website www.collegeadmissionstalk.com. So Kana, I know that Grinnell College is currently test optional, as you mentioned, like many other schools, by the way, but can you share the percentage of students that apply and that are ultimately admitted that did not submit their test scores? Yeah. So in terms of applicants, it's about 50-50 in terms of students who submit their test scores and students who don't. Um, and then in terms of our admitted students, it does swing a little bit in favor of those who submitted a test score. So it's about 60% of our admitted students did submit a test score and about 40% um, did not submit a test score. Um, we don't consciously favor students who submit a test score in our reading process. Um, but, you know, who knows, maybe the students who, who did score really well and just chose to submit that test score were stronger academically or had stronger applications in other ways. Um, but yeah, and then when you look at back at our enrolled students, it does go back to about 50-50 in terms of those who submitted a test score and those who didn't. Well, I appreciate that. And Connor, where do you think the test optional movement will go over the next few years and beyond? Yeah, I'm really hopeful that uh, colleges, especially I think elite colleges like Grinnell, continue to to remain test optional. Um, I think that it has done a lot of really great things for us as an institution in terms of both increasing the size and the diversity of our applicant pool, which then, of course, increases the diversity on our campus. Um, I think that speaking from Grinnell right now, we are on year two of a five-year pilot for our test optional program where we're collecting data to see if there is a, a meaningful difference in, in terms of academic success between students who submitted a test score and those who did not submit a test score. Um, and so we'll see where that goes. Um, I think that there is some resistance, I think, um, just generally in higher education from, from faculty who are worried about, you know, how are we going to test a student's preparedness if, if not through a test score? Um, I think on our end as counselors, we know that we can see that really clearly through the transcript. Um, and so I, I don't expect that we'll see a huge difference between students who submitted a test score and those who didn't. And so hopefully Grinnell and, and many other schools like Grinnell will continue to, to be test optional and maybe more will follow suit and become test optional in the years to come. 
Well, I appreciate that. And many of the people that I speak to agree with your sentiments. And I want to thank you for sharing the insight in terms of you being in year two of a five-year research program. So again, thank you so much, Connor. Connor, what are the different ways a student may apply to Grinnell? And is there a benefit to applying one way over the other? Yeah, so Grinnell has two rounds of early decision. Um, one is due November 15th and one is due January 1st. And then we have a regular decision deadline on January 15th. So if a student's first choice is Grinnell, I really strongly recommend applying through early decision. Um, and really, uh, you know, the same advice goes for any student whose who's first choice college is a highly selective liberal arts college with uh, with an early decision program. At Grinnell specifically, there are three pretty big benefits to applying through early decision. The first is that you're going to hear back from us faster um, within about a month of the application deadline, um, whereas if you apply through regular decision, you probably won't hear back until mid to late March, maybe early April. Um, the second big thing is that all domestic students who are admitted through early decision automatically get a $10,000 merit scholarship from Grinnell that reduced for all four years, um, and your chances of being being admitted through early decision are, are higher than being admitted through regular decision. Um, you know, earlier I was talking about demonstrated interest and, and early decision is kind of the ultimate way of demonstrating that interest. It is, you know, putting all your cards on the table and saying like, yes, this is my very top choice school. I'm, I'm so excited about attending here. So um, I think that's a really a great way for a student who might typically fall below Grinnell's average academic profile um, to have a better chance of getting into Grinnell. Um, but then beyond like early decision, regular decision, we do also participate in the QuestBridge match process. Um, and I strongly encourage any students who would qualify for that process to to pursue that. Uh, Grinnell, we took about 40 students through QuestBridge Match both this year and last year. Um, so I think that's just a really excellent program uh, that helps provide access for, for low-income students. Connor, thank you so much. So could you just elaborate a little bit more on the QuestBridge application for those listeners that might not know about it? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the QuestBridge Match program is a, is a scholarship program designed for low-income students. So the first few rounds of that application process don't actually go through Grinnell at all. They just go through the, the QuestBridge organization itself. And so students uh, qualify for the program by having a, a family income below a certain amount. You know, and they send in an application that is very similar to the Common App. Um, it just has a few more writing samples in there, a few more questions students have to answer. Um, and so they go through the whole QuestBridge program of being named a semifinalist, then being named a finalist. And then once they're named a finalist, they can list uh, schools that they can match through. Uh, it was actually modeled after like the med school matching program, if, if any listeners are familiar with that, um, where the applicants would rank schools and schools would also rank applicants. And then at the end of the day, those people are matched up. Um, so in terms of the Grinnell's end of the QuestBridge match process, we get a list of names from QuestBridge. Um, and those are students who are interested in matching to Grinnell. We rank all of those students. And then, um, you know, the matching process happens. We say how many students we'd like to match with. And, uh, and then we hear back on, on December 1st, basically, which students we've matched with and those students here, uh, whether they've matched with a school or not. Um, so any student who matches to a college through QuestBridge Match um, gets a, uh, a full scholarship with no loans. So it's, you know, 
a really great program for providing access to a lot of lead institutions. Um, Grinnell participates in it. Um, a lot of Ivy League schools participate in it. Other highly selective liberal arts colleges too. So if you are a low-income student with really high aspirations about college, uh, definitely look more into the Quest Rich Match program. Well, we appreciate that. And I always put in the show notes, the Office of Admissions. Of course, in this case, it would be Grinnell College. Connor, if there's anything else that you want me to put into the show notes to share with the students and their parents, just provide it to me. And of course, I'll do that for our listeners. I also want to thank you for the great insight in terms of your overall application process and how you describe demonstrated interests so in-depth and how Grinnell definitely looks at that as part of your overall application. We appreciate it. And kind of what about AP, IB, or dual enrollment courses? Does Grinnell accept any of them for credit? Yes. So Grinnell, we do accept AP and IB test scores for credit as well as dual enrollment classes. We'll take up to six classes worth of, of credit. Um, so, you know, that's basically a semester and a half at Grinnell. So there's this whole matrix on our website that I can send you the, the link to to include in the show notes that um, includes what you need to score on the AP or IB exams to get credit for that class. And then it'll also tell you if you would place out of any intro level courses for, um, for taking that class. But the rule of thumb at Grinnell is that you need to get a, a four or higher on the AP exam or a five or higher on the HLIB exam in order to get credit for the class. Um, for dual enrollment classes, typically that class needs to have an equivalent at Grinnell, and then you need to get a C or a higher in that class. Um, but dual enrollment courses are all up to the discretion of the registrar, and you know some AP and IB classes have different thresholds. Well, that's terrific. Thank you so much. And earlier, you did mention students that are homeschooled. Can you share how does the application differ for students that are homeschooled? Yeah, so for the most part, homeschool students go through the the exact same application process as any other student. The only significant difference is that rather than being read by the territory manager of you know the region where they went to high school, every homeschooled student is going to be read by the the counselor in charge of homeschool students. So currently, uh, that's Emma Polka Arma. Um, she was homeschooled for a period herself, so she absolutely has a window into homeschooled student experiences. Um, so any homeschooled applicant would know that you know anything that typically comes from the school in terms of like the school report, the counselor recommendation, that sort of thing, that all comes from. Uh, from the parent. And so one thing that's sometimes difficult for us is is gauging the rigor of the classes that that student took. You know, typically when I am evaluating a student from a high school, I'm looking at, you know, how many AP classes does this school offer? What is like the honors track at this high school? And I can compare that student to maybe hundreds of other students who are going through the same academic program as them. Um, whereas with homeschool students, sometimes, you know, it's just one of one. And so any additional information you can offer about what was covered in the classes that, that your student took is going to be helpful for us to um, figure out what that student's curriculum looked like. Um, since it's also really important for us to understand how a student interacts with their community, I strongly encourage homeschool students to get involved with some organization um, where, they, where they are actively involved in, in some community, um, whether that is like a community theater, a club sports team, a service group, you know, working part-time or doing an internship, anything like that is going to show that, you know, the student does, can successfully integrate within a community beyond, you know, the four walls of their own home. 
On this third and Connor, how important are students' courses in progress and their grades in senior year? And what are you looking for when reviewing them? Yeah, so grades in progress, uh, senior year courses are very important to us when we're reviewing a student. We just want to make sure that a student is continuing to challenge themselves throughout their senior year um, and continuing to succeed in those classes. So uh, we want to see that students are finishing off our recommended curriculum, which you know includes four years of English, math or pre-calc, a few other things. I can also link that in the show notes. Um, and you know we're also hoping to see that students' grades continue on the same trajectory as they were you know, freshman through junior year. So if you're getting mostly A's and B's, we want to see you continue to do that. It's concerning for us to see you start getting lower grades your senior year. Um, Or if you're on an upward trajectory, you know, that continued upward trajectory is great to see. Often students will dramatically increase their rigor their senior year. You know, sometimes they're taking their first AP class, sometimes they're taking four or five AP classes when they've only taken one or two before. And so, um, when we get like those mid-year grades back from a counselor, it's important to, for us to see that a student was able to continue to su- succeed academically, even when their rigor increased. Um, so unfortunately, you know, if we do see a, a steep decrease in a student's grades or there's a light senior schedule, that could be a reason for us to not admit a student. Um, but that's always really disappointing on our end. Well, thank you again for that insight. We appreciate it. And what are some examples of college essays that really stuck with you? And what advice would you share with a prospective student in terms of what to think about as they sit down getting ready to write their essays? Yeah, I think the biggest piece of advice I have is to try to tell one specific story thoroughly and deeply. You know, sometimes you see students try to talk about their entire life in in one essay, and that just doesn't get deep enough for me to really know anything about you. Um, and in the same way, you know, a five paragraph essay where you're just recounting your accomplishments throughout high school, I see that in the rest of your applications. So it doesn't tell me anything new about yourself. Um, so some of the favorite essays I've read have been a little more mundane. You know, it's a student describing what their uh, what their morning trip into their high school looks like or a family tradition or cooking a favorite meal right and the things that they reflect on while they're writing about that whether that's like the culture that they grew up in some of the values that they hold really deeply you know that tells me a lot more about a student um i also think that sometimes students want to be really vulnerable when they're writing this essay or to try to be especially memorable. So they talk about their biggest trauma in their, in their application essay. Um, And sometimes those essays can be real done and they can be moving, especially if that student takes me on a journey from, you know, before I was like this and afterwards I have grown in this specific way, but more often it, it's just really hard to read and it leaves me pitying the student, but not knowing anything more about them besides that they've had a really hard life for a really hard period of their life. Um, so I recommend to students, you know, if you if you want to be vulnerable, you can talk about a time that you failed. You can uh, talk earnestly about what your hopes and dreams are, the things that you care about the most in the world, um, and tell me about one or two key events that shaped those things. And, and that's just as vulnerable to me, and it's almost certainly going to be more unique um, when I'm reading that essay. Well, that's great insight and terrific examples of what to think about, again, when sitting down to write the essay. So we appreciate that, Connor. And of course, the teacher letters of recommendation, another big part of the overall application. What are you looking for when sitting down reviewing those letters? 
Yeah. So first, just starting with like what I what I don't find super helpful. Personally, I don't find it super helpful to read like a list of the students' activities, like their grade in the class, the description of what that class is like. You know, any college admission counselor worth their salt should know what an AP Physics class looks like. So we don't need you to recount that for us necessarily. Um, what is best, I think, again, similar to the essay, is if you can tell me like one specific story related to that student that really encapsulates what that student is like. Um, I remember one teacher I read several recs from last year. Um, I think they must have been teaching a class like AP Seminar or AP Research, where a student was was doing like an in-depth project throughout the semester. And so that teacher just talked about what that student's project was like, what it said about them personally, like how they succeeded working on that project, what they struggled with, and and. To me that stuck with me a lot more you know i was thinking about the kid who researched x y and z rather than like you know a, a paragraph description of what ap physics might look like right um so i thought that was a pretty effective way but also not in a really difficult way of of really specializing a rec letter to a student. I know teachers are writing like a ton of those rec letters so i don't want to put too much on teachers plates but um you know that teacher specifically, it was clear that they were still writing this from a template, um, you know, in terms of like, you know, there was like, this is what it was about. This is what they did well. This is what they struggled with. But it felt a lot more personal. Um, and I also think it's totally fine to write recommendations in, in bulleted lists or to bold the most important aspects of that recommendation. Um, we typically have to read these applications very quickly. Like I am unfortunately spending a minute or less reading each recommendation. So the, the more that you can help point out these are the most important things to know about the student, the the more you can be certain that that isn't going to get lost when I'm reading that student's application. Well, we appreciate that. And this has been a tremendous conversation, of course, on Grinnell College in the beautiful state of Iowa. Connor, thank you so much. Unfortunately, it leads us to our last question, which is, what are your top three pieces of advice you would provide a student and their parents getting ready for the college admissions process? Yeah. First, I would emphasize that fit is definitely more important than rankings. You know, I think rankings have their use. They can help distinguish between certain factors of a school, you know, like which school is more diverse, which schools have the highest starting salaries right after you graduate. Um, but there's no pre-existing list that ranks how happy and how successful you or your student could be at any college. You know, you've got to make that list yourself. Um, so, I really recommend figuring out your own criteria and going from there. Um, is it important to you that a school doesn't have Greek life or that they do have Greek life? Or are you looking for a specific sport or a specific opportunity that only a few colleges have? Um, if you can figure out what is important to you about a school and how you would fit into that context, um, I think you're going to be happier with the school you end up at. Um, and you'll also probably be more successful applying to schools whose missions align with your values and your goals. Um, I also think, you know, I've been talking about demonstrated interest a lot, but it is so important to engage with the Office of Admission at the school you're applying to. Um, all of us admission counselors have worked really hard to provide virtual and in-person opportunities for students to engage with us. And we really want you to take advantage of them. Um, you know, getting to work with students is the thing that makes our jobs worthwhile. Um, so please don't feel like you're bothering us. Um, and it also is going to help you learn more about the school. It's going to help you learn more about what they're looking for in their applicant. And 
if a school does track demonstrated interest like Grinnell does, it's going to better your chances of getting admitted to that school. And then the last thing I would say is just to be gentle on yourself throughout this admission process. If you are applying to many schools, and especially many schools that are as selective as Grinnell is, the odds are pretty good that you're not going to get into all of those schools. Um, and I think you should remember that those decisions, if that school waitlists you, if they deny you, that that is not a reflection of your worth as a human being or even your worth as a student. They reflect particular institutional goals that that college has at that time. And you don't have control over those. And your admission counselor even probably doesn't have control over those. You, you only need to get into one school for you to have a really great experience. Um, and even if you don't get into one school in that whole application process, you can always try again next year. You can always take a gap year and, and better your application and, and be more successful next year. Um, I know this is a super stressful experience for students. You know, I'm only about five or six years out from it myself. So I remember firsthand how stressful it was. It's like the biggest decision you're making in your life so far. Um, but it doesn't have to go perfectly for you to have a really wonderful college experience. Um, people who go to all sorts of different colleges and people who don't go to college at all have, have very happy and successful lives. Um, so again, just take it easy on yourself. Know that it's not the end of the world. I did not get admitted to every school I applied to. I got denied from schools that were less selective than Grinnell and, and I still had a really wonderful experience. Well, thank you so much for that honest, in-depth answer, which provided tremendous advice and insight to the students and their parents. Connor, this has been an outstanding conversation. I am so happy, as I know it's going to help so many people. Thank you so much for your time today. This was wonderful, and I hope to have you again. Yeah, thanks. You too. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please don't forget to tell a friend and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. I am your host, John Durante, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Cap.